Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today we are discussing episode 23 of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or else email us at Kathy at chasingdramas.com. As always, this podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Today's podcast episode includes an episode recap from the drama, and then we will incorporate some thoughts into a almost a video essay and then close out with some history. Episode 23 is quite intense and very profound. I certainly tear up almost every time I watch it, even though it is quite gruesome. The episode starts with Li Bi still interrogating Yu Chang, who shows signs of pause as Li Bi states that all he wants is to stop future Tang Dynasty citizens from devolving into poverty and turning into pawns for others from only a sliver of kindness like Yu Chang. Li Bi asks her if her sacrifice is worth it before untying another rope around her hands for an answer. Yu Chang at this point attacks him, but luckily, Xu Bin arrives with backup. I do think Yu Chang let Li Bi off easy though, because she could have easily killed him. I also thought the fact that Xu Bin came was like, oh my god, and then ran at help was, in a word, smart, because uh, Xu Bin definitely would have just died <laughs> in that scene. Meanwhile, Pan Qi catches up to Zhang Xiaojing in the crowded streets as we see Xu Hezi performing again on her large parade float. Xu Hezi's brother is still playing drums, which good for him because his hand got majorly injured earlier in the day, but the show must go on, I guess. And the fact that somebody stabbed his hand and he's like, yep, I'm just going to bandit it up. I guess <laughs> uh, medicine back then was different than it is now. Yi Si also makes a surprise appearance, startling Zhang Xiaojing, as Yi Si insists that he wants to help Zhang Xiaojing tonight. For him, the only way the church can maintain a stable footing in Chang'an is by helping Zhang Xiaojing tonight, because Yu Cha did come from their church. As the trio walks through the festive streets, Tan Qi actually takes this opportunity to inquire more about Zhang Xiaojing's past so she can understand more about him. She has clearly just owned up to the fact that she is attracted to this man. He shares more about his fellow soldiers during his time in the army and the two men in particular he respected. One is Wen Wuji and the other is Xiao Gui. Wen Wuji, obviously we know, is Wen Ran's father. Xiao Gui, whom we only hear the voice of but do not see his face, in this scene at least, managed to keep morale alive even in the worst of the fighting. However, the sad thing is, most of the nine men who survived the fighting either ended up dead or missing. I thought the point that Zhang Xiaoqing made about Xiao Gui saying he'd rather fight on the battlefield against enemies rather than fighting people from his own side was a rather rueful point because as we hear, a lot of people died within the city walls of Chang'an or at least within the Tang Dynasty. On that grim note, 
the episode turns even darker. Back at Jing'anci, many officials have started returning to Jing'anci following Li Bi's call earlier that night. They gather around the main hall, sharing food and laughs, while also gossiping about the current affairs at court, which we will certainly delve into later. But danger has descended upon Jing'anci. Longbo gathered his group of men, and with the help of information from Lu San, the messenger who was actually a spy for Longbo, managed to sneak a group of men into Jing'anci to rescue Yu Chang and also avenge her. They make quick work of the guards currently resting at Jing'anci, and given that the right cavalry was told to vacate the premises by order of the right chancellor, security was extremely weak. Cui Qi, who decided to trust his instinct to be a good soldier, decided to actually defy the right cavalry orders with the threat of being removed from his military status and thereby potentially being kicked out of Chang'an and fought Yao Zhuneng for a Lu Benjun armor because Cui Qi sensed impending danger. Sure enough, after Cui Qi changes, the two men see a slew of bodies on the floor outside. Cui Qi makes the decision to uphold his position as a Lu Benjun soldier and protect Jing Anzi. The remainder of the episode is both heart-pumping and heart-wrenching. Longbo brings his band of Pifu, or just his crew, to the main hall and starts attacking and killing the unarmed officials of Jing Anzi. In very brutal attacks, they hack and murder many of these men who just returned to duty, including Andrew Guo, who we saw in the last episode could have left for Luoyang tonight, but decided to come back to work because he wanted to leave a legacy in Chang'an. Li Bi does his best to protect their lives, but he cannot fight and does not have much of an option. As the massacre continues, and it's pretty hard to watch, Cui Qi arrives and takes a stand. Alone, he attempts to fight Longbo's men. It's clear that he's no match for the entire horde of men, but his bravery and heroism inspires many. Even Longbo is impressed by this last stand and gives Cui Qi the opportunity to protect Jing Anzi as a soldier who once served in the northwest of Longyou. Yao Runong here also steps in along with several other soldiers to the fray. In the end, Li Bi and several Jing Anzi members manages to survive the onslaught as Longbo and his men vacate the premises, adhering to the bet that Longbo placed on Cui Qi. The episode ends with Cui Qi dying, writing the words Chang'an on a name placard with Yao Runong by his side. Let me take a moment to talk about this episode in more of an audio essay format. The drama adds scenes of Cui Qi's background and life, as well as of the Jing Anzi officials who return back to work at the calling of Li Bi, thus making their deaths all the more impactful. While yes, you could say that by adding the scenes where one of the officials had the opportunity to return home only to die makes his death more dramatic, for me, it shows the idealism of everyday people wanting to make an impact. Many members of Jing Anzi return back to their posts on the evening of the Lantern Festival. That's akin to returning to work on Christmas night. As that one official says to his wife in the last episode, 
He just wants to do something worthy. These are everyday individuals who are just doing their jobs, actually going above and beyond to return to the call of duty. And many of them, even after seeing their colleagues slaughtered, cried out to save Li Bi and grab him to safety. These are unlike the soldiers that rush in because these folks are unarmed civilians. Let me take a moment to talk about Long Bo. A lot of his actions deviate from the book, and he is quite a complicated person. Yes, he is awful for killing all of these innocent officials in Jing Anzi. The quote-unquote crime for these officials is working for the government of the Tang Dynasty, which Long Bo loathes and therefore wants to destroy. Yet, you could see his distaste for the likes of He Fu, who doesn't care whatsoever about the lives of those under his employ, as long as the end result is the same. Long Bo in the drama goes on this murderous rampage in order to save Yu Chang because, he states, his group, the Pi Fu, or the ants, do not abandon one another. And the violence he exhibits is largely because he wants to give Yu Chang some revenge for what she experienced during her capture. He technically did not need to go save Yu Chang, but he made the decision to do so. Furthermore, he is impressed with the bravery and courage Cui Qi exhibits as the one-man army trying to save Jing Anzi. Once he hears that Cui Qi was also a soldier in Longyou, his entire demeanor changes. He actually saves Cui Qi from getting axed, gives Cui Qi some mint to chew, and also the opportunity for Cui Qi to save those he wants to protect. Long Bo most definitely did not need to do this, and I was surprised that Long Bo actually kept his word. Yes, many other soldiers arrived, but the surviving members of Jing Anzi stayed alive because of Cui Qi's valiant efforts. Long Bo actually stared down at Li Bi and also at the fighting Cui Qi and gave Li Bi the out when he saw Cui Qi fighting so hard for Li Bi. So would you say that Long Bo is purely evil and bloodthirsty for no reason? You could tell that he was once a soldier and upholds a soldier's code and cares for his fellow soldiers. This episode certainly added more complexity to Long Bo as a person and also hints to his true background because he is shown to not only be a violent individual and sometimes one that is creepy or oily. I was surprised that he actually hugged Yu Chang when he found her because for much of this drama, he was quite angry at her for many of her actions. But I guess because they were on a team, he really did care for her safety. As for others in this episode, Yu Chang breaking a bit when hearing Li Bi's words was almost like seeing a crack in her fortified armor. Li Bi did show bravery in the face of the onslaught, but was still rendered helpless because he could not do anything to save all members of Jing Anzi that he basically brought back to their deaths. Yao Zhuneng had quite the character growth in this episode from what you could say was a scared man to a more heroic one. He clearly does not have the same type of heroism as Zhang Xiaojing or Cui Qi, but he is improving. And finally, the star of this episode, Cui Qi. He is not a main character, but such a well-portrayed character on screen. He, at first, purposefully wasn't helpful in the day's investigations, turns in Zhang Xiaojing, and then defects to the right cavalry. 
However, with the help of flashbacks and much more exposition and time afforded to him on screen, we understand that much of why he could be seen as a quote-unquote bad guy is because he desperately wishes to rise up the ranks, make a name for himself, and stay in Chang'an. His brother made immense sacrifices for him to have these opportunities, and with his brother's death, Cui Ti was swayed multiple times today. He went down what audiences would believe to be as the wrong path to try to make better career choices and live up to the dreams that his brother had for him. Fortunately, this drama does a great job showing his turmoil and that conversation he had with Zhang Xiaoting earlier in the day about how he really loved Chang'an for the ordinary people. In that conversation, it showed how much he wanted to stay in Chang'an. His personal actions influenced his actions today, but then he was also bound by his requirement of listening to orders. He finally chose to ignore this last order to abandon Xing Anzi at the possible cost of losing his military status and be expelled from Chang'an in order to do what is right, protect Xing Anzi. He stepped in as that one and army to finally do something he thought was worthy of Chang'an. He is just an ordinary man, but his last actions were such an illuminating inspiration to those around him. I would like to think that other Liu Binjun soldiers who arrived to his aid were inspired by him. Li Bi was inspired by him, Long Bo was inspired by him, but especially Yao Zhuneng, who at first was that coward hiding in the back. He was inspired by Cui Ti. Seeing how hard Cui Ti fought even in the face of certain death, Yao Zhuneng overcame his fear and stepped into battle. One thing that wasn't explicitly stated in the drama, but was shown on screen, is how Cui Ti grabbed the name tag of a dead soldier and replaced it with his own. I believe it was meant that if there was any glory for his battles, it would be given to this fallen soldier rather than Cui Ti himself. Cui Ti dies after writing the words Chang'an on that name placard, which isn't his own, because I think that he believes the glory is not as important as doing what's right for Chang'an. He died defending Chang'an. He died a hero. And he most definitely died living up to the dreams his brother had for him. Even Longbo, during his drum beating, acknowledged Cui Ti as a person of Chang'an when, earlier during Cui Ti's entrance, Longbo clearly stated he did not know who Cui Ti of Chang'an was. This was a profound episode for me because it emphasizes the extraordinary impact ordinary people can make. Cui Ti is not the main character of this drama, but he showed immense courage and saved many lives. The members of Jing Anzi in any other drama or book would be nameless collateral damage, but we see that they are ordinary people coming back to try to make an impact. And we see the courage it takes to do what's right at the cost of not just your job, but also your life. You could say this is why this drama is bloated to a 48-episode drama rather than what could have been maybe a 20-something or 30-episode drama, but I do enjoy these snippets as it does give various characters the moment to shine. I really liked how the drama portrayed this episode. In the book, there is no dramatic drum beat. Cui Ti is not the last man standing. In the book, actually, he is more of a coward, actually, in the stand against uh, Longbo. Longbo arrives and spews petrol or oil 
acting on and lighted a flame. And so certainly there's still that massacre, but it's not nearly as impactful as what we see in the drama. Well, with that, let's also say goodbye to the character of Cui Qi and the actor for him, Cai Lu. The actor was born in the city of Nanjing, but moved to the U.S. when he was only six with his parents. He graduated from New York University and returned back to China to receive his master's in acting at the Beijing Film Academy. He started acting in 2007 and continued to get supporting roles with pretty big actors and actresses throughout the years. However, I don't think the movies or dramas that he selected were the ones that Karen and I paid attention to for the past 15 years. For this role of Cui Qi, the actor Cai Lu specifically worked with the director to give the character a hair lip. I don't know if you all could tell, given that the character was covered in grime most of the time, but he does have a hair lip on the left side of his lip. And that also constitutes to why sometimes when he's pronouncing or enunciating, there's a slight, I guess, difference in how he enunciates compared to the other characters. For those of you who are non-native speakers, you might not pick up on it. But for us, the first time I heard this or I saw him on screen, I was like, why is this character speaking a little weird? And after reading more about it, it's because the actor chose to give Cui Qi this hair lip which then gave him a slight different enunciation of words. The actor thought that it would also push the narrative that Cui Qi as a character was very self-conscious about his standing as a Chang'an soldier and one who wants to stay in Chang'an. He had a visible disability which contributed to this self-consciousness. But as Karen said earlier today, he died a hero. And for us, the audience, I don't even know if this disability really factored into how we viewed the character. As to history, there isn't much to discuss because, you know, everything was really focused on Longbo massacring a lot of people in Xing'anzi and the heroics of Cui Qi. But the main nugget that is discussed before all the murdering happens is when the officials discuss the naming of the era, Tianbao. So a little bit of background. In 741, which just so happens to be the last year of the Kaiyuan era under Emperor Tang Xuanzong and the Golden Age under his reign, Emperor Tang Xuanzong experienced loss that made him rethink this era. And this was the 29th year of the Kaiyuan era. In 741, Emperor Tang Xuanzong was 56, and in this year, his older brother Li Xian and his older cousin Li Shouli died. This meant for him that of the male members of his generation, Tang Xuanzong was the last one. Faced with these deaths, Emperor Tang Xuanzong really had to face his own mortality. He also believed that he had accomplished much during his reign, and it was time for him to enjoy its spoils. Well, these two reasons were enough for the emperor to change the era name from Kaiyuan to Tianbao. The first year of this new era was 742. For the subsequent events that I will describe, there are conflicting records of the order of events, but I will describe both. 
So this order of events is documented in Li Dai Chong Dao Ji, which was written by the Taoist priest Du Guangting, who lived in the 9th and 10th centuries AD. So a little bit more recent, or closer to the actual historical events. Anyways, as noted by Du Guangting, the renaming of the era to Tianba wasn't enough for the emperor. He wanted to be remembered with a legacy on par with the legendary emperors of the past, including Yao and Shun. These two emperors used Zai to count years instead of Nian, and he, our Emperor Tang Xuanzong, wanted to do the same. But in order to do so, the emperor really needed a proper excuse to say, hey, my accomplishments rival those of these legendary emperors. Let me also count the years as Zai, similar to what they did in years past. This gave way for opportunistic men to give the emperor exactly what he wanted. Emperor Tang Xuanzong believed in Taoism. A lowly seventh-ranked soldier named Tian Tongxiu seized this opportunity to curry favor with the emperor. He wrote to the emperor, stating that he saw a vision of the high Taoist god Tai Shang Lao Jun above the palace gates. The god informed him that there was a talisman or Ling Fu hidden in the old residence of Yin Xi, where Lao Zi, the author of Dao De Jing, wrote the foundational text of Taoism. Upon hearing this, the emperor quickly dispatched people to investigate. And indeed, found a talisman or Ling Fu. Written on the talisman were four words: Tian Bao, Tian Zai, or Thousand Years of Tian Bao. And note, Zai is in those four words. How curious! This must have been a sign from the heavens. The emperor was very pleased with the findings. With that, he also added a whole new title for himself, which was: Wait for it. Da Tang Kai Yuan Tian Bao Sheng Wen Shen Wu Huang Di. I'm not gonna do the whole translation because all you need to know is that he just mashed together his era names and then made him seem like a very very powerful、uh, emperor. This was just further to stroke his ego to say I'm the best emperor. Well, the emperor here was very pleased with Tian Tongxiu and promoted him to a fifth ranked position. The emperor even had a local folk song rewarded to describe the event, and continue to praise the emperor. Like I said, he really wanted to say, "Hey, I've done a good job, and I want to be rewarded for my efforts." The officials at court and even the common people were very skeptical about this quote-unquote talisman. As we see in this drama, most of the officials at Xing'anzi are talking about this event. And are like, hmm. Do we really believe that this is a sign from the gods? Probably not. So the order of events that are discussed in the drama come from this next historical record. This comes from Zizhi Tongjian, which was published in 1084 by the author Sima Guang, and stated that Tian Tongxiu. Informed the emperor of this talisman in 741, the last year of the Kaiyuan era. The emperor's men dug up this talisman, which had an interesting character to it. It looks like the word "sang," but basically the officials were like, "Ooh, it's 
three tens on top, one ten on the bottom, and an eight in Chinese characters. The officials then were like, oh, this means it's 48. And this means the emperor will reign for 48 years. How auspicious. The emperor was very pleased with this answer and then changed the era name to Tianbao. This is a story that we hear in the drama. So the two reports are, first, Tian Tongxiu tells the emperor that, hey, I found this auspicious piece of stone or rock or talisman. Then the emperor changed the era name to Tianbao. The other story is that the emperor first changed the name to Tianbao, and then Tian Tongxiu says, oh, there's a talisman, please go find it. Regardless, the fact that Tian Tongxiu did provide something to the emperor is noted fact, it's just the timing of it and the order of events kind of differs between the two records. What can be agreed though is after this name change, in 743, another swindler by the name of Cui Yiting wanted to replicate the success that Tian Tongxiu had and also had the gall then to inform the emperor that, hey, in the city of Luoyang, I also saw the Taoist god Taishang Laojun, and this god informed me that at this other mountain, there's another talisman. The emperor, funnily enough, wasn't that gullible this time. His men did find another talisman, but a local official, Wang Chui, was like, um, this is pretty suspicious. There can't be so many signs from the gods. So he decides to arrest this Cui Yiting. After interrogating the man, Cui Yiting admits that the whole thing was fabricated. Interestingly enough, the emperor only exiled Cui Yiting even though the punishment for this crime was much, much worse. Like, his whole family would have been killed. It's probably because if the emperor punished Cui Yiting with death, then he probably could not square away the same story from Tian Tongxiu the year earlier. So he was like, okay, I fell for one or I agreed with one of these schemes, so I can't fall for it twice, but I can't openly admit that I think that both of these were just fabricated. But still, in preparation for the year 744, the emperor decided to reuse the findings from Tian Tongxiu, including the four words, so that's where he then said, okay, I'm going to change how to count the years from nian to zai. And he just used this as an excuse. But the whole debacle with Cui Yiting muddled the waters a little bit. And in his official decree, he didn't mention any of the talismans. The officials were like, mm, okay. And nobody made a fuss because at this point, they could tell that the emperor was pretty much set on changing the way to state the years from Nian to Zai. In the drama, there's a lot of suspicion about what happened with Tian Tongxiu. This conversation really just covers the broader, I would say, theme of this drama to state that this Tianbao era, this year of 744, really is the beginning of the end of the golden era of the Tang Dynasty. Separately, the Jing'anzi officials made several jokes about how the emperor was now in a new amorous relationship with a much younger woman, and what that looks like from an impact perspective. 
The changing of the era name was only a beginning of the shift to more hedonistic pleasures by Emperor Tang Xuanzong. And again, because we all know what ultimately happens to the Tang Dynasty because of Tang Xuanzong's behavior. Well, that closes out our discussion of episode 23 of The Longest Day in Chang'an. Certainly a very impactful episode and one of my favorites, actually. The music for this episode is Ting Pingyue, played by yours truly, with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. As a friendly reminder, if you are looking for sites to watch Chinese dramas and you are in the U.S., please head on over to our sponsor, Jubao TV, that is J-U-B-A-O TV. It is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch with English subtitles. They have launched on Sling TV and Plex, and you can also access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour in the U.S. Thanks again so much for listening, and we will catch you all in the next podcast episode.